0: 103, which uh, the Lord blessed me with as I walked through it last week as I prayed through Psalm 103. God just reminded me of how gracious he is towards me, a sinner. And so I want to read this for us as we prepare ourselves to sing about the goodness of God towards sinners. I want to read this to you. Psalm 103, David writes and says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful. And "'and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love.'" He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. you catch that? That's a very important verse, that God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the what? The West. So far does he remove our transgressions from us, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Can we fathom the fact that the God of all creation, who made the universe and us, he actually looks upon us and our iniquity and our sin, and he does not repay us according to what we deserve, but instead he forgives and he pardons, so much so that he takes our sin from us and cast it as far as the east is from the west, which by the way, you cannot measure. If he said north to south, you could measure that. But east to west means that it's cast. Our sin is cast off of us. God takes it so far from us as the east is from the west. It is incalculable. That means when God forgives, he forgives. And aren't you glad this morning, while we're about to sing about the goodness of God, aren't you thankful for the fact that while God saw you in your sin, as a Christian, he doesn't treat you according to your sin, but instead he forgives all your iniquity. I don't know about you folks, but that is the only reason we have to sing this morning is he's forgiven us. Let's sing to him this morning. Would you lead me, brother? Thank you, Eddie. Thank you, choir, for leading us this morning. I really appreciate As the Deer Pants, one of my favorite songs comes from Psalm 42 where the psalmist writes, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. I'm telling you, you can't read that in a stoic way. You know, we've become guilty so many times of turning a relationship with God into this robotic type of where feeling has been lifted and and we no longer talk about the emotions that come along with following after the king. I'm telling you, Psalm 42 is written by someone who's desperate for God as the deer pants. I don't know if you've ever seen a deer pant. I haven't myself, but I'm assuming that a deer pants because it desperately wants water. And I'm telling you what, we have to have a longing for God like that, our soul panting for God where nothing else will do except the wonderful, life-refreshing and life-giving Jesus who has given everything for us. So I pray you've come here this morning because you want to encounter and you want to spend time in the presence of this living King. Who has given everything for us? That you pant like a deer for streams of flowing water. You can't live without Christ and without finding Him. And so I pray that as we study this morning, we come expecting God to do things and waiting for Him. I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're walking through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we've worked through it, Paul starts by addressing how Christians live in the midst of the world. And then in chapter 11, transitions to how Christians live and interact with those within the church. So it, it deals with worship gatherings and how Christians relate to one another. And as such, it's very beneficial for us to study this morning First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's going to continue to address the issue of spiritual giftedness and how it's lived out in the worship of the local church, how it's lived out as the body of Christ gathers together. Now can I share with you this morning? None of us likes the idea of being dependent on anyone else. We want and fight fiercely for our independence, that we don't have to be accountable to anyone or any other thing. We love our independence. And one of the things that God does is he hits to the heart of that from the very beginning, that as Christians, we are no longer independent of one another, but in fact are desperately dependent on each other. And so I understand that what Paul's writing here in 1 Corinthians 12 is completely countercultural to where we are today. But in fact, while we say often that we want unity in community, many times that's one thing we aren't willing to pursue. Why? Because it calls us to give up Our independence. If we're going to have unity as a church, if we're going to have unity as Christians gathering together, the one thing you're going to have to give up for unity is your independence. Now you're either excited by that, or terrified by that, or about ready to go find a new church. Because the question is, are you ready to give up your independence? for the good of the church and for your ultimate good. Because what God is doing in redemption is not just saving individuals. What God is doing in redemption is bringing people who used to be fiercely independent and bringing them into interdependence with others, where we actually need one another and belong to one another. Now, the previous text that we looked at pointed us to the gift-giving God, who gifts and gives gifts to his people for his glory and for the good of the church. And in this text, Paul addresses divisions that have arisen concerning the gracious gifts of God. And in this text, we see the vital unity that exists in God-given diversity. That God actually designed his church To be, as Stephen Hume called it, a community of complementary interdependence. We're going to flesh that out over the course of our time this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. If you are physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning in honor of God's word. And then I'll let you be seated for just a little bit. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And I hope you're ready to hear from the word of God this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Paul writes and says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts we treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we need your help as we cover these verses, and God, I pray you'll grant wisdom, and I pray, Lord, you'll help us to see that you alone deserve glory for your gracious gift giving to us. Lord, help us to exercise our gifts in the body of Christ for your glory and for our good. Lord, that we might give you the praise you deserve, that you have bestowed grace on sinners such as us, and you've allowed us to be part of your family. So Lord, above all things, may you be lifted high. May Christ be exalted because he alone has died to purchase us from our sin. So God, help us today as we study not to go, man, my neighbor needs to hear this. But God, may you impact our hearts with your word. God, may you teach us this morning. Root out sin, root out selfishness, root out arrogance, root out pride, root out thinking that we're more valuable than the people sitting next to us. God, help us to all come together before your throne saying that we are nothing except that Christ has purchased us for himself, that none of us is more valuable, and yet, God, you rescued us in our sin. So above all things, God, in your church, receive praise and honor. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody says, because you said amen, you can be seated. If you didn't say amen, you got to stand up. And I may have to do uh, aerobics today, what we call Christian aerobics. If I see people falling asleep, we're going to get up and do stretches because I know people are tired. I know it's been hot as blazes here. And so I know the tendency to want to nod off is going to be very present. So if I see you nodding off, I will have us do exercises. And I will not tell you who nodded off. I'll just have you get up and start working out. And you can talk amongst yourselves who is to blame. But here we see that we have been called to a body. We have been saved into the body of Christ. And one of the great things that Paul does here and that God inspires Paul to write is that the human body is compared to the body of Christ because God loves us. He wants us to understand what he's getting at when he talks about how we as Christians interact with one another. And so he calls the body of Christ or the church. He compares it to a physical body. He says in verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So Paul's going to use the illustration of the human body to make a comparison to the church or the body of Christ. Christ. And what you're going to see throughout these initial verses are the, rep- the repetition of many, 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 and one, 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 one. That what God has done is he's taken the many and he's made them into one. We see that today here at Fairhaven, right? Because there are many different people in here from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different social statuses, different genders, and God has brought us together into one. We're one body. At least you should know that. You're, this is one body. Uh, n- no one no one is greater than the other. This is all, this is all one body. And, and, and I'm not separate from you all. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not separate, standing apart. I'm part of the body, too. I'm part of it. And I'm no more valuable than anyone else. I'm part of the body that God has brought us into, even from southern Indiana, right? Brings me all the way down, right? Because he wants me to be in his country. So God brought me from southern Indiana down here. And he... M- Blends us in, right? Blends us into a family of others of different backgrounds. And while we are many, we are yet one. And that seems to be what God is getting across to us is that the many have become one. Many have become one. How many? One. It's it's not about us. It's about the one. It's about the body together. So we see that. And while each member matters individually, yet each member is belonging to a greater whole than themselves. So you're, God is bringing you together with other many's to make one that is a greater whole than if we were separated. So the many are brought into one, and we're told that this is done in Christ, in the Spirit. In Christ, the many have been made one. You can't do this on your own. You, you don't get to be part of the one simply by coming in. The only way we become part of the one body of Christ is through Jesus, through the work of the Spirit, we're brought into the body and made one. So you don't just wake up one day and go, you know what? I think I'll be part of the people of God today. No, God rescues you into his family, into the body. And while that is a universal picture, right, because we're brought into the body of many believers all over the globe, it's also lived out and seen visibly in the local church where we gather together many people coming together for one purpose, For the one. So if you've gotten here today because you want to get something out of this, that's great, but ultimately you're not here to get. You're here to be part of the one body, part of the mission of God to see the kingdom expand and people trust in Christ. So in Christ, the many have been made one. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, just so you know, this is not, I believe, talking about this baptism of the Holy Spirit that is taught that leads to uh, speaking in tongues as it's a necessary part of salvation. This is the speaking of, this is this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, meaning that you have been regenerated, you have been saved. The baptism of the Spirit is the fact that we have been brought into the family of God through the work of the Spirit, through Jesus' death on the cross for us. Not that it's hinting towards speaking in tongues, but rather we are regenerated, we are saved by the work of the Spirit. And this is the plan of the Father through the sacrifice of the Son and the work of the Spirit. We are brought into the family of God. Now he says in verse 13, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. So the many have been made one through this baptism of the Spirit into the body, which speaks of regeneration, just like Jesus says in John 3, 5, One must be born not just of water, but of the spirit, which talks about being saved. And, it's, and once we're saved into the body of Christ, it's no longer about the divisions and the distinctions that we've had to separate ourselves up into groups. He says, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we've all been brought and made to drink of one spirit. So unity within the body of Christ exists regardless of previous background. So what we don't do is come into the body of Christ and start dividing ourselves back up again. Now, I I know you wouldn't tend to do this, but sometimes Christians can start dividing themselves back up into groups again. Even though they've been purchased by Christ into one body, we find ourselves breaking ourselves back up into our groups again. And here what we see is he says, those who have drank of the one spirit, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, they're unified into one body. And that unity exists. So it means no matter what your background is, you can still be part of the one body. Yay. This is good news because as Gentiles, that had to happen. Otherwise, none of us are getting in. Yay. We don't get left out. But the problem is we as people tend to sin. And we tend to take God's good things and twist them. And what the church in Corinth did in the first century is they started dividing up over gifts. And that's the problem we face is when Jesus has brought us together in the one body, any type of division does not honor him. And it must be addressed because that's not why Christ died. He died to unify the people of God. Verse 14 tells us, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. So no individual is the whole body. You can't be the whole body on your own. This is why you can't just sit at home and watch church on TV. Because the church does not consist of one body, one member. Uh, if, if, If you saw a foot, if you saw a detached foot in the middle of the road, would you go, oh, there's a body in the road? No, you'd go, there's a foot. Right? Because one foot does not make up the entire... I'm sorry, I had to use that example just because I'm trying to get across to you. It can't just be one person accounting for the entire body. There are many members in this one body. And so a foot cannot by itself make up the entire body. No individual is the whole thing. That is why we need each other. We cannot be the church on our own. And the church shouldn't and can't be one person. It has to be the people of God together. Now... The divisions over the gifts. This is where Paul is addressing. He's already started out with what Christ has already purchased for them. Now he's going to take the gospel and apply it to the division that they're having over the gifts. There appear to be in the church in Corinth divisions between the greater gifts and the lesser gifts. That those who have the greater look down upon those who have the lesser gifts and are divided. And those who have the lesser gifts look at those with the greater gifts as separated from them. You understand what I'm getting at? So division is in the church. God gave gifts to bring the church together, and now they're dividing over them. That's what human beings do. That's what we do. We take the good things of God, and because we're sinful, we like to twist them and to turn them into our own self-sufficiency and our own glory. And that's exactly what's happened in the church. He says in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Could you imagine a mutiny of the foot? Deciding that it is no longer going to be part of the body because it's not a different part. If the foot says, well, because I'm not a hand, I'm out of here. that's ridiculous, right? The picture Paul's painting is one that people would look at and go, that's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. As if the foot is going to go on revolt from the rest of the body and say, well, if I can't be the hand, then I'm not walking anymore. Can you imagine how absurd it would be for a single body part to view itself as self-sufficient and not in need of the rest of the body? What's the foot going to do if the mouth stops eating? It's going to die. So how ridiculous would it be for the foot to go, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm not, I'm not part of this whole thing. I'll, I'll keep to myself. Paul's trying to make it look stupid. Or he says, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Well, if I can't see, then I'm not going to be part of this. No one member can be the whole body, and every member belongs to the body. Just because the foot says, I ain't part of it, doesn't mean it ain't part of it anymore. Still attached. Even if he's revolting, he's still attached. Why? Because he belongs to the body, and all members of the body belong to it. We can't simply wrap up, stand back and go, well, because I don't have that gift, I'm I'm just not going to be part of this whole thing. If you're saved, you're part of the body. You can't get out of that. That's, that's what God saved you into. And so it ain't a matter of whether you're the hand or the foot or the eye or whatever you are. You belong to the body as a whole. It ain't about you as an individual anymore. Now, listen, I got to remember this all the time. Because as the preacher, I can start to get kind of puffed up. But after, Sorry, that's my, that's my puffed up dance. If you ever see me walking like this, just know I'm really arrogant at the moment. If you see me strutting through Walmart like that, you say, Jason, you need to repent of your arrogance because I will be, you better believe it. If you see someone walking like that, just call the cops. It's not good. But we have to remember that no one member can perform all the functions of the others. Thus, no one member of the body can claim self-sufficiency because you can't do every part. The foot can't do everything. It has to be part of the body because otherwise it can't exist because it can't fulfill the role of the eye. We can't, be, we can't view ourselves as self-sufficient. We belong to each other. We all belong to the body and we play a role. What if a whole body were eyes? That's gross, by the way. What if you had 100 eyes and that was all the body was with a bunch of eyes? I've seen video games with that in it. It's creepy. Or what if the whole body was a bunch of ears? That'd be a messed up body. Be a lot of hearing going on, but not a lot of anything else. And I think that's the point Paul's making is how ridiculous would that look? And yet, there are people in the church of Corinth thinking, I don't need these other lesser people. I'm good on my own. I'm the foot. I'll take care of this. Or I'm the eye. I don't need anybody else. Listen, I don't know about you, but there may be people sitting in this church right now who don't think they need everyone else in here. There may be people in this church who don't think that they need anyone else, that they're fine on their own. They're just going to show up, do their thing, and head on. You can't. You have to have all the members of the body together in order to function. You have to have these people. Also, within the church could be some who go, well, because I don't have, because I'm not an eye, I'm not as important. I'm not as valuable. I'm not as needed. Well, just so you know, eyes can't do nothing. Of any subsequent use and goodness if they don't have some feet to take them places. If they ain't got some hands to reach out and touch. If there's no way to get food. We have to have each other. So all members belong to the body. Everyone belongs. And just so you know, Paul says, here's why it's so important for us to understand this. Notice what he says in verse 18. But as it is, so, so while he's talking about those who say, well, I don't need everybody. I'm good on my own. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So what we're introduced to is Paul says that while the church in Corinth is debating over who's greater and who's lesser and who needs who and who doesn't need anyone else, Paul says you need each other. you all and You're all valuable. Why? Because God purposefully ordered and gifted every one of you. The fact that he says God arranged the members in the body, that means God purposefully placed all the members in the body. Okay, let me tell you what I think this means. Ready? Now, I'm about to make you do exercises. I don't want to do it. I'm about to make you do jumping jacks. But here's what I want to share with you. In the end, God has purposefully arranged every member in the body for his purposes. That means Jason didn't just show up with the Harris's by accident. That means you sitting in that seat, you're not here by coincidence. God has purposefully arranged the body to have all of its parts. That means you're here this morning and you're part of this body because God arranged for you to be part of it. Not accidentally, not, oh, this is working out really well, didn't see that coming. God purposely places each one, Right? I mean, that means your coming here isn't accidental and it's not pointless. God has arranged. He brought a brother, Bob. Brother Bob Dotley and put him in this place because he's going to purposefully use brother Bob in this place. He brings a Frank and he puts Frank down. And he says, Frank, I'm going to arrange you in the body. I'm going to gift you and I'm going to place you exactly where I want you to be. This is good stuff, Miss Anita. He arranged you to be part of the body. He gifted you particularly to be part of the body, and he placed you right where he wanted you to serve him. Nothing accidental. When we come together, this is the handiwork of God! Amen. Now I hope you'd be a little more excited about that, but you'll get that later on. When you're eating, you'll get that, and you'll be like, "Oh man, that was awesome. I can't believe it. This is a purposeful gathering. And this gathering is not to go, look, I'm the hand, everybody be happy for me. But it's to get together and go, I'm a hand, and you're a foot, and you're a mouth, and you're an ear, and you're an eye, and together we make up a full body that can be on mission for the kingdom of God. And that's not accidental, you are absolutely valuable, and you are purposefully placed right here. And just in case that wasn't enough for you, notice what he goes on to say. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body. He, he, he placed them. He purposefully, he, he did, it's not thrown together. He would come together because of his ordering, his arranging. And then he says this, each one of them as he chose. So God put everyone exactly where he wanted them to be. That is the sovereign hand of God placing God's not just placing stars in the sky purposefully. He's placing y'all purposefully. And every person he saves, he intentionally saves. For the purpose of putting them within the body of Christ for his glory and our good. He puts every single one of us as he chose. And just so you know, God doesn't choose wrongly. And God doesn't make mistakes in the body. It wasn't as if you were supposed to be a mouth and you accidentally got made a hand. He made you a hand because that's exactly what he wanted to make you. He chose you to be a hand. And he put you in a body that needed hands. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) But the church in Corinth is divided up over who's more valuable than anyone else. And what Paul says is, it ain't about you. It's about the God who put you right where he wanted you. He appointed you to be right where He wanted you to be. He chose you. He placed you sovereignly. And just so you know, that's good news for us as a church because we don't have to fret whether God's got this. Oh, I'm going to need another amen besides that. I mean, I, God, this means we ain't afraid because God has purposely placed us with intentionality that we might serve and minister for Him in this community for His glory. Yay, I got like three. Woohoo! So God gifts, and he shows us that he, we all belong to the body, and God has purposely put us all together. He's ordered and gifted us exactly how he wishes us to be. There could be no body without the individuals who have been saved, gifted, and placed where God purposed them to be. Without God's acting, there would be no body. As such, all members belong to the body. Now, verse 20 is kind of a restatement of verse 12. He says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Again, you see that refrain, many and one, that God has made one out of many, and he's purposely put them together. Listen, we can't think the church of God is any more an accident. I mean, can you look at the physical body? You think this is an accident? Listen, I can believe a lot of things. One thing I cannot believe, for sure, is that this body came together accidentally. I cannot. Listen, as an atheist, I could not. Because there's some purpose behind this this thing. I didn't choose to make my brain. And it is so complex, I cannot even fathom how my brain works. And by the way, neither can the most important scientists in the world and the smartest people in the world. Can't figure this thing out. This is not accidental. The way my body works, the way yours works, the, the, the precision and the detail that goes into the human body, that is not accidental. How could we think that the body of Christ would be any more accidental? You look at this, you say, that's purposeful. That's a body that's meant to work, it's a body that's meant to function in a certain way, and God has provided everything. There's so many, I've been kept up at night wondering how my, I keep breathing. Because I don't sit at home and go, okay, Jason, remember, every few seconds you got to breathe. Or blinking. I'm sorry I have spent moments in just thinking about the fact that I blink without thinking about it. Am I weird? Is that odd? But I sit there and think about how many things my body does on its own. And I'm blown away. That this machinery cannot be accidental. And the body of Christ is not Accidental. It is the purposeful working of God to build exactly what he wishes to build, and you're a part of it as a Christian, and so am I. And everyone is valuable within that body. So not only do all members belong to the body, but I also want to point out to you, all members need the body. Not only does God provide complementary members that work together to function as a single body, but it goes to show God shows us that all members need the body. Because he says this, the I cannot say, verse 21, That I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So no one can say, I don't need the other person. You can't walk into a body of believers in a church and go, well, I don't need these other people. I'm good. No, just as the body needs all of its parts functioning together, so does the body of Christ. So God not only says that we belong to the body, but he says we need the body. And you as a Christian need the rest of these people. You cannot do it on your own. And I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. No body part can claim they don't need the others. We need the giftedness of those around us to help us to grow as God intends. And just to remind you, the word of God tells us this over and over again. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The body needs all the members. We need each one of them. And God says that when all the body parts are working properly, it makes the body grow so everyone is built up into mature manhood. That's what we're called. We need each other because the only way we're gonna grow up into maturity, the only way we're gonna grow as God intends for us to, is if we're in the body, belonging to each other, being part of the giftedness of all those God has placed around us. That's how He grows us. And as such, Paul says, God has gifted us for unity, not division. Verse 22, he says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Every part of the body is important, and God has blessed every part of the body that he has made. And so on the contrary to not needing one another, in the idea that we are independent, he says we are vitally dependent on each other. And as we realize to a greater extent the need that we have for each other, the more value we will hold for one another. If you actually believe you need the people next to you, you'll hold them more valuable than what we may at the moment. And Paul even says, those that seemed less honorable, we hold as very valuable. Those who we seemed as weaker, he says, are necessary to the body. There are none who we look on and go, well, we don't need them. And then he says even this, those unpresentable parts. (laughs) Okay, now in the body metaphor, I think we can all get what the unpresentable parts are. The parts you cover up, right? There's some parts that don't, (laughs) I'll leave it at that. There, There are parts that are unpresentable and yet they are clothed with honor from God. So even those who would view themselves as not important or not necessary, God says he has clothed them in beauty. This is good news because every person then is held valuable because God has created them and gifted them for his church. Not only that, but we see in verse 24, he says, which are more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So God has gifted us for unity, not division. And those that seemed weaker, God holds as valuable and necessary And God has composed or he has fit together all parts of the body with a great purpose. says he gave greater honor to the part that lacked it. This is great because so many in the church think that they lack honor or that God can use them in any way whatsoever. And yet God says he holds them as highly valuable, every member of the body. And God has composed the body to fit together with great purpose, with great honor, so that, so here's the result, here's the reason why, that there may be no division in the body. Disunity in the church comes when some consider themselves more valuable than others. You want to know where disunity comes from? When some consider themselves more valuable than others. And he also says God has composed all things together, all parts with value, that the members may have the same care for one another. That we wouldn't look on those with the greater gifts and go, well, I'll care for them, while the ones with the lesser gifts we leave to die on the vine. But instead, God has gifted us where everyone is important, everyone is valuable, and as such there should be no division in the body and all the members should care for one another. In the body all the members work together without distinction for the good of the whole. And in so doing we glorify the God who has sovereignly gifted and placed each member in the body for his glory and our good. That God can and does use you as a Christian in the body for his glory And for your growth. And we need every single one of us. Every single one of us is valuable and important. And so if you're here today saying, well, I don't have those greater gifts, right? I'm not not one of those out front people, so my gifts don't matter. Bogus. God says he intentionally places every person where he wishes them to be according to his good purposes and for our good. And so every member of the body is valuable. Not only that, but then finally every member is vitally connected. He says such, he says, if one member suffers, in verse 26, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That means we're vitally connected to one another. <laughs> we're, not just, we're not just existing in the same place. We are connected by God into a family. So if one of us suffers, we all suffer. If one of us rejoices, we all rejoice. And I don't know about you, but one thing that's lacking from many churches is that kind of vital relationship. Church is treated as something where we can take it or leave it. It's good if we have it, but we don't have to have it. Wrong. God says that church, the body of Christ, is vital to you as a Christian and to me. And what Paul does here is he takes the analogy of the body and he applies it to the church in Corinth. And he says, In your midst, Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, and administrating, and various kinds of tongues. God has gifted within the body of Christ all these different gifts, all of these different people functioning for the glory of God. And they're all purposeful and by his hand. And then verse 29 and 30, he gives a list of rhetorical questions that point to the fact that they need each other. He says, are all apostles? What's the implied answer? Is everyone an apostle? Okay? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? No. No one can do, no one does all these. God gives some to do this and some to do that and each one is valuable and important and one person cannot do what everyone can do together and as such, we need one another. For the glory of God in his church, he gives these rhetorical questions to point that we all play a role and we are interdependent on one another. We're not independent of each other. We're interdependent on one another. I need you. And you need me for the glory of God. And that's the beauty of what God is doing here. Is This is not just a social gathering. This is God displaying his power and his purposes in bringing together a body of Christ for his own glory. That's cool stuff. And there's going to be more to come. God's going to bring more parts. Right? God's going to bring more parts. Through the work of the ministry, through the proclamation of the gospel, God is going to bring more parts into the body. And he's going to edify and he's going to build and he's going to grow exactly how he intends fair haven to grow and that's the we don't have to fear god's going to do exactly what he desires for us so here's what i'll leave you with god views us as valuable because he created us in his image every person is valuable to god because he created them in his image and god poured out his grace through jesus even though we didn't deserve it The Bible says every single one of us is a sinner who has gone our own way, and yet God has poured out his grace on us through Jesus to rescue us as sinners. Why? Because he holds us valuable, because he created us in his image. And I want you to realize that when Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, he's pointing them back to Jesus, who, by the way, was willing to be dishonored for the sake of Christians. He was willing to be dishonored for the sake of those who needed to be rescued. And God has set us free in Christ. Because we've been rescued, because we've been saved, God has set us free from that old life of arrogance and self-sufficiency and pride. We no longer are marked by those things. In Christ, we are marked by patience. We're marked by considering others greater than ourselves. We're able to do these things because Christ has renewed our minds and given us new hearts. That we would no longer be marked as self-serving. So guess what we can't do as a church, folks? We cannot display to a lost and dying world that we are divided. We cannot display that some are more important than others. We have to display the good news of Christ, which is that he died so that people of all backgrounds and upbringings could be brought together and all could be important in the body of Christ and that we could consider others greater than ourselves. That means in the church, I don't have to fight to make a name for myself over you. I just play the part God has told me to play, and you do the same. And finally, we are great sinners. But Jesus is a great Savior, and as such, he deserves all the glory. We're celebrating as a church the fact that what God did was he brought individual sinners from all over the place who had no unity whatsoever but were marked by division and hatred and arrogance and self-sufficiency. And he brought us together to say you are now part of a greater body than you've ever had before. You are now part of something greater. You're part of my Family, my kingdom, my body. And Jesus is the one who is working within the church to glorify Himself. You matter. You belong. If you're a Christian, you belong to the body of Christ and you are necessary and you are vital to the church. And I need you to understand that you are valuable. Let's serve Him, giving Him the glory He deserves. Would you pray with me, Lord? I ask that you would help us to see today. That while we are unworthy sinners, God, you died for us. You died so that we might be rescued and redeemed. And because of that, Lord, we are so grateful and thankful for your patience, your grace, your mercy, your kindness to us. Lord, I pray you'll help us to see that you are worthy of all praise. Lord, I pray you'll help us as Christians to not be marked by self-sufficiency or arrogance. But God, instead, we would see that we are all desperately in need of you. And God, we're nothing apart from your hand. And so, Lord, I pray in the church you'd help break down areas of division or areas of arrogance or areas of pride or areas of those thinking they're more valuable than others. God, instead, I hope that you would help us to see that before the cross there is level ground, that every single one of us comes as sinners, and every person who is saved is gifted by your spirit to work. And so we all matter. So, Lord, I pray you'll help those who are here this morning thinking that they cannot serve you, who think that maybe they're not as valuable as the rest. God, I pray you'll help them to see that they are valuable because you saved them and you've gifted them and you've placed them in the body exactly where you want them. So God, help us just be faithful to you. God, help those who might look down on other people because of their gifts and think that they're more valuable. Lord, help us to see that we have nothing apart from your hand and you deserve all praise. Lord, I pray that you'll fill this place with more parts, God, more members, more people who will come be part of this family that we might work together for the sake of the gospel, for the ministry, that people might trust in Christ and turn to him in worship. Lord, I pray that we will be patient and wait for you. God, that we'll give you all the glory knowing that we can't do anything, but you do it all. May Jesus be exalted above all things. We ask you, God, to help us to confess our sin of pride and arrogance. God, to confess, God, when we think that we don't need others, when we think we're independent. God, I pray that you'll help us to trust in you, and to give you glory. Lord, break down walls of division and hostility. Help us to see that we are united in Christ. We ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.